Well, hey everyone and welcome. As we roll forward today, I got to start with something really special. We just took a huge step forward in our tech game. We now have QR codes that you're going to be seeing around that will take you directly to any momentum happenings, events, signups, registrations, anything you hear us talk about, you can now just snap one of these and be there. It'll take you right to whatever you need. Now, that being said, go ahead and test it. It might be popping up on your phone right now if you're watching on the phone. If you're on a computer screen, you could take a little picture of it and it will get you to the signups, including our upcoming launch team meeting that's just a little later this month. Now, buckle up, we're gonna fly. One of my favorite times in the life of this church is is any time we start a brand new series and we're starting a brand new series today called the Bible no one told you about now we're gonna be moving through the entirety of Scripture in this series starting at the very beginning and working our way through to the very end and I want to tell you something no matter where you're coming to the table from no matter where you've come from to sit down with us here's some things that we could all agree about the Bible that stand apart from telling you what you should believe or the way you should live. Here's some things we know. Number one, the Bible is mysterious. It is like no other book. When you look through the pages of Scripture, you can find passages that say things 4,000 years ago that have come true today. Over 4,000 years ago, one of the writers in the Bible writes down this idea that one day the Hebrew people will become a great nation. And that happened. Did you know, as a matter of fact, um, the nation of Israel is a very, very small population, but we would all agree they've taken up a very large portion of, of world news over the last couple centuries. In addition to that, if you were to look around our country, did you know that the Jewish people are the most wealthy group of people per capita in our country? They have, in fact, become a great nation. Uh, it's a mysterious book because there have been times when people fought wars over this book. There's been times when people tried to destroy the Bible completely and wipe it away from history, but it keeps coming back. You know, the Bible's mysterious. There were times when people were killed for having and distributing Bibles to other people. I'm just saying there's not very many books in your house right now that have caused the death of people because they were simply distributed. The Bible's mysterious. Did you know Voltaire, the French philosopher in the 1760s, one day predicted that the Bible would be gone in one century? And then one century later, through a crazy like set of events, the European Evangelical Society was using Voltaire's former house as a storage facility for Bibles. It's mysterious, you guys. Oddly enough, in light of all the controversy around the Bible, it's also very popular. As a matter of fact, if you looked at my little graph here, this shows you um, the most uh, top read and sold books in the world. And the Bible stands at number one with over 3.9 billion um, sold and read. And then the next runner up, well, the third runner up is Harry Potter over here with 400 million. Uh, the sayings amounts to some make uh, the next, the second place there with like less than half of the, the way the Bible has been sold. Um, it is the most popular book in world history. As a matter of fact, it kind of sits at the center of world history. 
Today, 2.5 billion people open up the Bible or learn from it and read it regularly. The Bible is also extremely beneficial. A recent study showed that people who read the Bible four times a week experience 40% less loneliness than other people. People who read the Bible have, uh, four times a week have 35% less destructive thoughts. Reading the Bible regularly staves off depression, anxiety, and isolation. It is empirically good for human beings to read the Bible. On top of that, when nations build their, their laws, bylaws, and structures on the principles that are found in the Bible, those nations flourish. On top of that, the people who flourish most in nations that, that reflect the teachings of the Bible are women and children. In countries that are, live the closest to what the Bible teaches, women and children flourish the most. Now, here's what else we could probably agree about on the Bible. It's often confusing. And I mean confusing because sometimes you read or if you've tried to read the Bible, it takes you into a different time, a different place with different cultures and customs and worlds. And additionally, here's why we're doing this series today. The Bible is confusing uh, for most, you know, Americans in, in the year 2021. The number one confusion that you see happening with Scripture is people thinking some things are in the Bible that actually are not. And then some people do not realize things in the Bible that actually are, and that is why we in this series are going word by word, letting the Bible speak to us on its own terms, learning God's great story of rescue and redemption cover to cover. Now, let me just tell you, if, if, if who's this series for? Let me, let me just tell you what we're aiming for and who I hope is at the table for this series. Number one, if you've been curious about spiritual things, but often been put off by religion, I'm telling you, this series is for you. If, if you've been hungry spiritually, but at the same time never had the opportunity to open up Scripture or figure out who God is and what He wants for you, this is for you. Let me tell you something. If you're acquainted with the Bible, but at the same time, you feel like there's more there, or you've always had a longing to go deep into Scripture and, and unearth what it has to say, no matter how raw or, or, or edgy that it may be. I'm telling you, this series is for you. Buckle up. Here we go. We're going to begin at the beginning. The Bible, if you were to open a physical copy of it, I keep mine digitally these days because it keeps all my highlights for, for me, opens up first words of Scripture on the first page simply say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. This is our origin story. You know origin stories, right? Because of Marvel movies and how popular they've become. The first Marvel movie to ever capture my attention uh, was that Spider-Man that was back in the 2000s somewhere with Tobey Maguire, who's the real Spider-Man for my money. But you remember his origin story. He was in that little lab and there was that radioactive spider that drops down and it bites him on the hand. And then all of a sudden he notices that he has superpowers. So he goes and he fights in that little amateur fighting thing. They don't pay him at the end and somebody robs the guy who runs 
runs the amateur fighting league and Peter Parker has the opportunity to stop the robber, but he chooses not to. The robber runs outside, jumps in a car and ends up shooting Peter Parker's grandfather. And that's how Peter Parker becomes Spider-Man. That's his origin story. You guys, when we turn through the pages of Genesis, we find our origin story, the origin of humanity the origin of our desire to connect to God, the origin of our faith itself. Now, I want to take you back into these words and let's pull them apart and learn what the Bible is saying to us about our origin. You'll notice the first words are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, maybe you've heard these words before, but did you realize just how significant they truly are? These words set the Bible apart from every other Middle Eastern or early religion. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say every single other major religion uh, is set apart from this because from Christianity and, and, and because of these words. Let me be even more clear. I don't like the way I'm saying this right now. These words make the Bible categorically different than every other world religion. And here's why. Every other religion begins with the idea that matter is eternal and that God's emerged from matter. Here in our scripture, it's God is eternal and he creates matter and that matters. Here's why. Number one, it means God and God alone is divine. God's reflection and his power is reflected through nature, but nothing in nature in and of itself is divine. Not the stars, not the sea. Although they are powerful, they point to God, but they will not and cannot ever be gods themselves. Additionally, this matters because when we see that God created everything, including us, we know that what God's fingerprints are on, his heart is in. It shows us, and you get this, if you've ever designed something, if you've ever done art, if you've ever showed up with your friends and did the sips and strokes, if you've ever remodeled something, if you've ever created something, you know what your fingerprints are on, your heart is in. Britt and I just did this remodel project. Man, we didn't set out to do a remodel. We set out to go on vacation, and then we realized that we didn't, what we really wanted was to get away from the children for a week. We didn't have any options for vacation that involved getting away from the children. So I said, babe, I got an idea. Let's just, let's just take a week and remodel the kitchen. And she goes, are you sure? I go, yeah. How hard could it be? It'll take three days max. Well, you're probably ahead of me and you probably understand that it was not three days max. It was seven and some change. And actually, we're still putting some things back together. But I'll tell you something. When we were finally finished and we saw our kitchen and we saw it in a completely new light and we saw that we had poured our hearts into creating something special, our hearts went for it. We literally, two days ago, we're just sitting in the kitchen. The TV's behind us, but we're staring into the kitchen, marveling at our creation. What does this mean for me and you? Well, God's fingerprints are on your soul, and His heart is for you. I want to tell you, the road to God is not as narrow as you may think. There are plenty of ways you can find Him. He is in creation. He created you with a plan for you. And if you turn to Him he will readily be found because his fingerprints are on you and his heart is for you. Now, let's move on. 
We're going to dive in deep here. I want to tell you something else unique about this creation story. What else makes it unique is that every part of the triune Godhead can be found in this story. You might call this the Holy Trinity. You might call this the Trinity or the triune God. Don't get tripped up on this, okay? This is just simple Christian theology. We believe in one God who, who expresses himself in three different parts. There's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three parts. Don't get tripped up, just think of an egg, okay? You got the shell, the yolk, and the white. All of them. If you get the white on your face, you got egg on your face. If you eat the yolks, you're eating eggs. If you see the shell, you go, that's from an egg. It's all three, one thing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. All parts are present in this creation story, and that matters. Let's break that down for a minute. Well, first, let's talk about the Holy Spirit being present in creation. Did you catch it? Did you catch it when I read the story? Let me run it back to you. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And what? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's stay right here. Let me tell you about hovering over the waters. If you were to dive into this Hebrew language and the Hebrew culture in which these words were first written and recorded, you have the Spirit of God hovering or quaking over the waters. Now, in that culture, water and, uh, it represents a place of abyss and chaos. And this hovering word, it's, it's, it's better, it could be better used as hovering. It could be like quaking or shaping. The Spirit of God is hovering over chaos and shaping it into order. You understand this because I want you to think back to your childhood when your family was having friends over or a gathering or a family dinner or Thanksgiving. What was your mother doing 30 minutes before everybody was supposed to show up. What was she doing? She was moving around the house, taking what was left of the chaos and trying to turn it into order. The Spirit is present at creation, taking the chaos and forming it into order. That is a big idea when you consider that on the back end of the cross, God sends the Holy Spirit to live in the hearts of his people to shape the chaos in us into order. Different sermon for a different day. The Spirit is what brings animation to creation. If God is the designer, the Spirit is the engineer. He's wiring creation of flowing energy into it. Like if you go into this time, and we'll get there later, but if you look right into the story, God forms a man from the dirt and it says he breathes, he spirits. It's the same word, breathe and spirit in scripture. That's another Bible study for another day. But God spirits or breathes into the man and the man becomes alive. The spirit is present in creation, making things alive. The theologian Mark Moore said it like this. The spirit is the ongoing force of God that gives life, breath, and sustaining energy on earth. He's relentlessly, intimately, and perpetually involved in the very fabric of our earthly environment. God the Father created, and the Spirit creates. The Spirit was a part of creation and is to this moment filling the world and our souls with life. Now, did you catch where Jesus was in creation? 
We saw God the Father. We've seen the Spirit. Did you catch Jesus' role in creation? It's a little more difficult to find. We have to use our New Testament to give us commentary on what was happening in this moment. Now, I'll give you a clue, okay? Genesis 1-3 simply says this, And God said, said is underlined there, Let there be light, and there was light. So when God creates, He speaks creation into existence, all right? He speaks His word, and creation happens. Now, After Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, one of Jesus' closest followers explains creation in light of Christ. As a matter of fact, when you read the book of John, that's one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. He watched everything Jesus did as an eyewitness, and then he looks back at Genesis through the life of Jesus, offering us commentary on, on these verses that we're writing today. And John writes this. He says, In the beginning... It's the same words as uh, Genesis begins with. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And then what happened? The Word that was there at creation became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus was present at creation as the Word of God, who would later come embodied in human form, fully God and fully man here on earth. Now, let's take all that crazy, uh, deep theology and make it real. Jesus created everything. When he stepped onto earth, he was stepping onto an earth that he had shaped and formed. Now, the writer Paul would later talk about this and write some of the most comforting words I've ever heard about Jesus Christ and my faith in Him. Colossians 15, 17. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Here it is. For in Him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, principalities, or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Jesus, all things are held together. I'm so glad it doesn't say in Matt. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm bad at holding my own life together. I'm bad at holding our family's monthly schedule together, at holding our budget together. And these words inform me, the one who was there at creation will hold my life together so I don't have to. Now, there's another reason it's truly important that we understand that Jesus played a role in creation. See, when you take Jesus out of the creation account, salvation becomes this disembodied spiritual eternity. But when you see that Jesus was present in creation, designing it and forming it, then he came back to restore it. You realize that salvation, yes, is about eternity with God in paradise one day, but it also is about here and now. Salvation includes health, culture, systems, family, the children of Vista Square, those in nursing homes in our area, those less fortunate than us. Salvation has a real tangible hope to offer them here and now, today. Now, let me cut to the other part of the story that no one may have told you. 
I mean, we're calling this series The Bible No One Told Me About. So, I mean, each week our goal is to go into the parts and pieces of these stories that are absolutely present in Scripture that sometimes get passed over. And here, here's one I want to talk to you about. After God continues to create, you've probably heard us talk about this before, but there's a simple refrain you hear from God where he says, And it was good. It's the picture of an artist carefully forming something, stepping back from a painting 10 or 12 times, getting all the parts and pieces just right. And when that thing has become a masterpiece, he finally offers his approval saying, that's just how I want it to be. This shows up seven times in Genesis. He creates the sun and the light and he says it's good. He creates the earth and says it's good. Animals, plants, living creatures, and he says they are good. He creates humanity, humans, and he says they are very good. They are exactly how they, I want them to be. The Hebrew concept for this comes from this word shalom. Shalom uh, was often a greeting, but it, it, in one word, it's a beautiful word. It means perfect peace wholeness, and a state where everything is just how God wants it to be. Shalom is God's dream made true on earth. Now, this idea of shalom, everything in creation when God creates it is exactly how he wants it to be. But you read a couple chapters later, which we will uh, in just a couple weeks, and you see that sin enters creation and wreaks all kinds of havoc. Sin comes in and then multiplies itself through history in the form of selfishness, of disintegration, disease, dysfunction, disformation, illness. Sin comes in and wreaks all kinds of havoc and oppression and exploitation and, and abuse of power, of abuse, sexual abuse. Everything dark echoes back to this moment of sin when creation was marked. Now, I was once told that that is why I need Jesus. This world has been marked by sin and you need Jesus. You know, this world's like a ship and it's going down. And so Jesus offers you this lifeboat and, or an escape hatch. And so when this world finally blows up, you're off in heaven. The, the floor is clouds and angels are playing harps and people are singing. And, and you're in this heavenly reality over there once this place has been destroyed. Now, here's my question for you. If God, as we saw, made everything perfect, how could there be another place that's even more perfect than this one? In other words, if God took the world and he said, everything here is how I want it to be, how could there be another place we're supposed to go that is even more of what God wants it to be? That doesn't make sense. God would be inconsistent. How could there be, if, how could there be another place that's even more perfect than this one? The answer is there isn't. The answer is, being saved by Christ is not escaping this world and going to another one. Being saved by Christ is being claimed for a day when this world will return to what God always had in mind. If you were to read the Bible and start here in Genesis and read it all the way through to its last chapters, you would see that we begin 
on earth in God's presence, and we will one day end up on earth in God's presence. I'll show you in Scripture. In Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. That is symbolic of God's presence, okay? Then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, here we go. God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The final vision of eternity is God's presence returning, restoring earth and making it new again. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't have this all figured out. I can't tell if this earth, if this earth, you know, gets expanded. I can't tell you where all the people are going to go or how they're going to fit, but I will tell you this. We began on earth in God's presence and one day, We will return in new bodies to a new earth and dwell in God's presence forever. And shalom, God's dream will be restored again. Now this brings up a great question for us, okay? An application. Okay, Matt, um, so what? So what do I do with this? Okay, it's different than I thought it was, but does that have different implications for me today? Oh yes, absolutely. We are living in a period of time that the theologians call the here but not yet. See, Jesus came and his rescue and restoration is here. There is salvation to be found, but the final culmination of that salvation, the final day where everything is restored is not here yet. We find ourselves living between Genesis and revelation. It's here, but not yet. So what do we do? Well, the short answer is we partner with King Jesus in the restoration of all creation. I can explain it like this. In addition to the kitchen, we did some work in our room and had to get it ready for a painter. Don't ask me why we decided to do two projects at the same time. Uh, that wasn't Britt's idea. I'll tell you who that fell on. Now, I'm sorry, I uh, apologize, but I'm telling you it's what we did. Now, we, we had a painter coming. But before he came, we had to prepare the way for him. We had to move the furniture, get things ready. We were preparing the way. We started the work in eager expectation of the day he was coming to finish it. We started the work in eager expectation of the day he would come and finish it once and for all. That's Jesus and this is us. We are to start the work of restoration as we eagerly await for Jesus to come restore all things things once and for all. Salvation is not sitting with our hands in our pockets talking about how evil this place is and how we can't wait to get to that place in the sky. No, 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 no. What was Jesus's prayer? God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we wait for heaven to come to earth, we start bringing it here by repairing and restoring the world around us. 
We, we restore people who live in a broken relationship with God by sharing the hope we have. We restore the lives of children marked by poverty with our generosity. We restore creation when we put on our shirts and go clean our city. We restore our workplaces by living and working with Jesus-centered integrity. We restore the lonely by reaching out with hospitality and community. We restore justice by opposing injustice when we see it. And we restore humanity by reconnecting them to the God who made them as we wait for the day when Jesus will come, restore everything once and for all. Love you guys. Have a great week.